Good morning, everyone. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm the associate pastor here at Give All Church South Haven. Thank you so much for joining us for worship this morning, uh, especially those that you're here on campus, those of you who are joining online. Thank you so much for making time. Uh, I'm excited to see how the Lord is going to move this morning in our time together. Uh, so uh, we're continuing in our series called Catalyst, where we're walking through the book of Acts, looking at how issues that the early church dealt with also speak to us here in the 21st century as well. And so we're looking at scripture. We're looking at how these things that, that came about in the church at that time, about how issues that we deal with today, the early church dealt with, and we can use and apply to our lives as well. And so I'm really excited as we continue to walk through this series through this summer. Uh, but we've looked at some, some issues like how the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit does great work in our lives, how we can tap and lean into that power. We've looked at kind of this boldness that we can have as followers of Jesus, how integrity matters. That's really important, right? We've looked at how we can bring healing to toxic environments in the church. We've looked at how the church gathers to scatter. And then last week, we looked at how growth requires discomfort. Now, if you've missed any of those sermons, I would love for you to go back, listen to them, take notes. They're good, good stuff in those. And so if you will, you can go to getwellchurch.org slash catalyst and find all of the sermons there. And, and also you can find our reading guide as well. Uh, but I encourage you to do that if you haven't already. But this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 12. So if you've got your Bible or maybe you read on a device, if you'll pull that out uh, and turn to Acts chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 1. So Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, And it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, those words set up for us a scene that is going to unfold. But what we found two weeks ago uh, in Acts chapter 8 was where Stephen became the first martyr of our faith. Uh, and how persecution at that time began to break out among the church in Jerusalem. And so uh, what we saw later is that Saul, a guy who we later know as Paul, right, uh, by his Greek name, he began to destroy the church and he would drag men and women and children out of their homes and put them into prison. Those who followed Jesus. And last week we saw how this great persecutor of the early church, Saul, uh, came to know Jesus. And what happened whenever he encountered Jesus is that he was changed. So much so that his life took a complete 180. And instead of being the one who was breaking down and trying to destroy the church, instead he, he sought to build it up and, and pour his life into it to see not just the Jews come to faith in Jesus, but also the Gentiles. And so Paul just was, was fantastic in, in what God had done in his life through Jesus. But just because Paul came to know Jesus didn't mean that persecution stopped in the church. 
You see, what, what had once been this kind of insiders persecuting, because it was, it was the Jews who were persecuting those who had become Christians. At this time, uh, in Acts, remember, it's, it's mainly Jewish converts uh, who are following Jesus. And so uh, a lot of the persecution came from those family members and friends that you once had that are like, why are you following this Jesus guy, right? But now what we see in our text today is that it's no longer just inside persecution. It's not just persecution from the religious, but it's now taking on a political nature as well. So Herod the Great's grandson, that's who, who this Herod is, uh, has come into power, has been put into place by, by Rome over the region. Now, granddaddy Herod had quite the reputation. You may remember uh, that, that his daughter requested the head of John the Baptist on the platter, right? And he, he delivered. But here we find uh, that little Herod is going to try to give him a run for his title. He, he wants the, the title of great. And so he saw that with the Jews, that, that it really pleased them that he had had James executed. Um, and so he, he decides, hey, well, let's just take it a step further. We'll get this guy named Paul. And so he, he arrests Paul, and, and honestly, I think that he intended to execute Paul, uh, Peter, excuse me, Peter as, as well. So with, with such highly revered members of, of the early church being arrested and, and executed, you would think that the early church would have this sense of fear, right? This, this wanting to kind of falter in the face of persecution. But here's the thing, they stood strong. They stood strong. Why? Why did they stand strong? Well, it's because they had witnessed, or at least they had heard of the great promises that had been fulfilled in Jesus of, of God. They knew these promises. They knew that the promises that had been made in Jesus, those promises that, that they were holding on to that had not yet been fulfilled, were going to be fulfilled in, in the coming days. And so they stood strong. And what did they do? Look again at verse 5 with me. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying, earnestly praying to God for him. Now, the early church, they desired to see Peter released. And so they did so. They, they prayed earnestly. They prayed fervently. They prayed boldly. They had a little bit of gusto in them, right? Uh, that's what this means. They, they, they doubled down in prayer, going to the one that they knew could do something about it. They truly believed in the power of prayer because they truly believed in the power of God. Now, as the story unfolds, we're not going to read through it all, but as the story unfolds in Acts chapter 12, Herod, he, he places round the clock. That's what the, the four, four groups of four soldiers, it just means that it's round the clock uh, protection uh, of soldiers guarding uh, Peter. And he was bound not by one chain, but two. I mean, Herod wanted to make sure this guy was not going to get away, right? But here's the thing. Even Herod's most well-thought-out, well-planned, well-executed idea to hold Peter down would not be enough. Because our God is powerful. Our God is able so the, the, the prayers of the people, they led to the, the power of God being displayed in mighty and a miraculous way. So this angel appears and, and he frees Peter from the chains and in he leads him into the street out of Herod's clutches. 
And this whole time, Peter's in this fog. And whenever he finally comes to, if you've got your Bible open, look with me at at verse 11. It says, when Peter came to himself and said, he said this, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Peter gives God the glory. Gives God the glory because only God could have done what had just happened. And so it's this this prayer, this power that that happens. And when Peter realizes what's happened, he runs to to the house that he knows a lot of the early churches is at, right? It's the house of of one of the Marys, and and he's he's wanting to to get in there because he's excited. And also, I mean, he's in the streets. It's nighttime. He, He needs safety, right? And so he starts knocking on the door, and, and finally someone comes to the door, and it's the servant girl named Rhoda. And Rhoda is so excited because she recognizes that it's Peter's voice that she runs to tell the others without opening the door. And so here's Peter on the outside. Rhoda's inside going, hey, Peter's at the door. And they're like, Rhoda, you have lost your mind. This guy is still in prison. What are you talking about? And so Peter is is still at the door and he's knocking and finally they let him in and they realize and and verse 16 says this they were all astonished they were all astonished how often do we pray i mean do we pray bold prayers and we're astonished when god answers those prayers I think we're just like the early church. They, they prayed this, this boldness. They had prayed around the clock for, for Peter to be freed, to Peter, Peter to be safe. And yet they're, they're astonished that God actually answered that prayer. I mean, they thought that he was an angel. They thought that he'd already died. And yet it, it wasn't. It was Peter. And that's because we shouldn't be astonished when God answers our prayers because God is a God of action. He wants to move in, in big and bold and powerful ways in our life and in our world. And prayer is an instrument in which he uses to begin that movement. So E.M. Bounds was a, a lawyer, an army chaplain, a Methodist pastor uh, from the uh, 1800s, early 1900s, wrote a lot on prayer. I mean, there's lots that he wrote on prayer. But he said this. He said that prayer puts God to work. Prayer puts God to work. And he wrote this. He said, prayer moves God to do works among people in his own way, of course, that he would not do if prayers were not made. If prayer puts God to work on earth, then by the same token, prayerlessness excludes God from the world's affairs and prevents him from working. If prayer moves God to work in the world's affairs, then prayerlessness excludes God from everything concerning people. Prayerlessness leaves man as the mere creature of circumstances, at the mercy of blind fate, and without help of any kind from God. It leaves man with the tremendous responsibilities and difficult problems of the world, with all of its sorrows and burdens and afflictions, without any God at all. Prayer puts God to work in all things prayed for. While man in his weakness and poverty waits, trusts, and prays, God undertakes the work. 
The power of God is unleashed when we pray. I think that the early church recalled the words of of Jesus in John 14 whenever he said, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And what prayer does is, is it puts the work into God's hands and it leaves it there. We try to pick it back up, don't we? But what prayer does is it leaves the work in God's hands, knowing that he's the one who is able to do something. Because he is. God's got this. The work of prayer is simply us placing our faith, resting in, trusting in, leaning on, acting with, and obeying God. That's what we do in prayer. So the early church, they, they knew that, that God was, was using Peter to help start the, the church. They were, that God was using him in, in huge ways. And so they were praying for his safety. But essentially the early church is also praying that, that the mission that God had given the church, that it would continue to go on. You may remember in Acts 1.8, what is the gospel supposed to do? It's supposed to be taken to the ends of the earth. And so if, if Peter is harmed, then God, you've got to make some way to make this happen. There's this work that God has called the church to do. There's this work that God has called each of us to do, and we're not going to be able to do it without the power of God. And that's why we have to hit our knees in prayer. Now look, I, I know there are probably parts of your life that are not anywhere like what you would want them to be. But more importantly, there are parts in our lives, parts in our world that we see and we recognize that, that they're not how God intended them to be. There, there are these places that we need the power of God to come in and stir and move and bring healing as only he can. And so I, want, I don't want you to miss this. God has positioned us for such a time as this so that we would pray for, that we would work toward, and that we would trust in him and what he is doing and what he wants to do in this world. So let's flesh this out. First thing is that we pray for what God can do in the world. If you look back through all of history, if you look back through the Bible, if you look back through church history, every major advancement of of the gospel and the kingdom of God here on earth all began with prayer. All began with prayer. That's where it all begins. This, This good news going to the world without asking God to move. We will always fall short of what he's called us to. He wants to show his power. We may desire for God to move in in these great ways. It may be part of our heart, but but yet oftentimes we don't ask for it. And so really we end up being no different than someone who really wanted a steak dinner, but instead settled for McDonald's. Quite, Quite different, right? And it wasn't that you didn't have the budget. I mean, our God has the cattle on a thousand hills, right? But yet we're okay with having that that $5 burger at, at McDonald's because it was close enough. It was close enough. We need God to move as only he can. We, we need him to, to stir hearts and minds. We need him to, to remove barriers, to open up doors. We need him to reconcile 
And we need him to heal. We need God to move. We need God to be God. Right? We need to pray for God to, to, to move. We need God to move in his church. We need God to move in the lost. We need him. Uh, we need this world to know him, to experience him, to follow him, to love him so that his kingdom would be made much of. That's what he desires. And that's what we should pray for as well. So we pray for what God can do. And we should work toward, secondly, we should work toward what God can do. You see, God has created each and every single one of us for good works. Ephesians tells us that, that he created us for these good works that, that he's planned for us to do beforehand. And there are ways that God has gifted each and every one of us to meet very specific needs. If we were all like me, that would be a, a rough world to live in, okay? Um, so I'm glad that he created each of us very differently. But that's the thing. He's gifted each of us very differently to meet a specific need in the world today. In the world where we've been placed. We have resources and, and relationships and giftings that he's given us in order to advance the kingdom work that he's placed us here on earth to do. Now, God's spirit is what comes into our lives and enables us to, to live and to work as he's called us to. It spurs us on to action uh, through obedience to God. And for many of us, I don't think that our calling is to be a global leader of the church like, like Peter but he has called us to follow in day-to-day -day obedience, loving our neighbors, loving God with our whole selves, being planted where we're at and making our home and, and, and doing what he's called us to do. You see, God wants us, Peter, uh, Paul tells us this, that he wants us to do everything we do for the glory of God. So, so wherever you are planted, whether you're a pastor like me, whether you're a banker, a retail worker, a student, a stay-at-home parent, a retiree, whatever it is that, that you find yourself in and that you do, God wants you to do all of it for his glory. And so we work toward, we've been gifted, we've been given this ability to work toward what God has called us to do in this world. So we pray for, we work toward, and finally, we trust in what God is doing. You see, God is at work. Even when we can't see it, God is at work. And even when, when we've prayed such a bold prayer and we kind of get the answer, hey, not right now, it doesn't mean that God isn't in the background of eternity working and making all things work to his good. God's at work. So even when we can't see it, we have to have Faith. It's one of the central tenets of, of, of our faith is that, is, is faith. We place our trust in him, knowing that his promises are good and that one day they will come to pass. We place our trust in God. One day we're going to experience them and one day it's going to be beautiful, this world that we will live in when he is fully realized. So where is it that God is wanting to move in your life? What's that part on your heart that you're, you're just unsure of what God could even do? What, what is that situation that, that you're aware of that, that you need to be praying 
about. I think one of the hardest things uh, for us in the 21st century, and one of the hardest things for us as Americans, I think, is, you know, we talk about the American dream, but I think that we just don't even understand dreaming at all. We just settle for whatever. We think that we're just a, a circumstance of fate, right? Whatever we're dealt, that's just what we have to deal with. But friends, we have a God who loves us. We have a God who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. So I don't know what dream it is. I don't know what, what situation it is. I don't, I don't know what it is that God has placed on your life. But it's something. And he wants you to pray for that. He wants you to start working toward making that a reality here on this earth. And he wants you to trust him as you do that. Now, I will give you this, a little disclaimer. Acts 12 is, is a fantastic story. But I, I will say the results may be varied. I, I'm not going to say that you're going to have an angel show up and, and rescue the person you've been praying for, uh, you know, from the clutches of Herod. However, God will answer that prayer, whether it is in our lifetime or not. God will answer and God is working to make that happen. Now, chapter 12, it, it ends with uh, a really terrible scene, but also has this really joyful one-liner. So don't miss it. Herod, uh, despite seeing the, the power of God on display and the miraculous release of, of Peter uh, from prison, uh, tends to just go about his life. He doesn't give glory to God for it. He, he just says, whatever. But the church didn't. The church realized that all of this was to God's glory. And so when we see God move, we need to give him glory. Because when we recognize that the real power for change and this real movement that can only come by God, we realize that all of it rests with God. Then as verse 24 says, we'll see this, that the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Isn't that what we want? that the word of God would continue to spread and not just spread and, and fall empty, but that it would flourish. Yes, Lord, let that be so. And let us be people who are obedient and who do that as well. That message that we take to the world is one of, of the good news. It's that Jesus Christ by God's love, willingly went to the cross and died for our sins that we may be reconciled to God. That we would have life everlasting, not just life in eternity, but life here and now. And that's why this morning we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But before we do, I'd like to pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are able, and we witness that by the truth of your rising of, the, of your son Jesus from the dead, that the chains of sin and the chains of death do not hold us down. They did not hold him down. Lord, and they do not hold us down either because of the great power that you have. 
Lord, would you help us to be people who pray for, who work toward, and who trust in you. God, that you would move in strong and mighty ways. Lord, that we would be people who hit our knees, who wear holes into the knees of our pants, Lord, because we know you and we trust you and we love you and know that you are able. And so, Lord, would you help us to be your people in this place? Would you help us to be your people as we go from this place? And Lord, would you move? That's what we ask. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.